Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there, folks, and thank you for listening to the show. I'm Joanna. I'm Nate, and this is Stranger Than. Uh, Today we have a variety of articles to read you and an update on an old, very old, uh, episode that we did uh, back in... 2017. Oh, wow. Yeah. So oldie, uh, but a goodie. I I loved that episode. And uh, so how about we start with. Let's start with kind of a light article. This came out on November 6th, 2022. The National Park Service wants humans to stop licking this toad. Oh. (laughs) Go into almost any park, and there's often reminders to refrain from going near petting or feeding wildlife. Not licking strange animals was simply a given until now. The National Park Service has added tongue contact with the Sonoran Desert Toad among its various warnings for park visitors. As we say with most things that you come across in a national park, whether it be a banana slug, unfamiliar mushroom, or a large toad with glowing eyes in the dead of night, please refrain from licking, the agency, the agency wrote on Facebook this past week. The toad, also known as the Colorado River Toad, is about seven inches in size and carries a weak, low-pitched ribbit sound, but the creature is far from harmless. Sonoran desert toads secrete a potent toxin that can make people sick if they touch it or get the poison in their mouth, according to the National Park Service. Despite the risks, some people have discovered the toad's toxic secretions contains a powerful hallucinogenic known as 5-MeO-DMT. In recent years, smoking the amphibian secretions has grown in popularity, so much so that the species is even considered threatened, at least in New Mexico, due to collectors that want to use the animal for drug use, according to the state's Department of Game and Fish. Oh, that's interesting. I was going to say DMT, DMT? DMT, DMT, yeah. Okay, all right. A number of public figures have reported experimenting with this toad's excreted toxins. Boxing legend Mike Tyson has spoken about it, and some researchers have even begun to study it for its potential therapeutic benefits. President Biden's son, Hunter Biden, has written about using 5-MeO-DMT therapy as a form of addiction treatment. 
The U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration considers 5-MeO-DMT as a Schedule I drug, meaning it is currently not accepted for medical use and has a high potential for abuse. You know, I like to hallucinate as much as any guy, but I'm not going to run and lick on some fucking toad, some no. wild-ass toad no. that's hopped through God knows what kind of whatever. Despite the fact that boxing legend Mike Tyson and president son Hunter Biden say about like licking them, I'm not going to take those people. No, those are not people that you should be, you know, taking advice from in any capacity. Um, yeah, like, no, like, gross. I mean, that just seems very unhygienic. I don't care However, how high you get. The therapeutic and medicinal use of hallucinogens is something that is uh, pretty wild to hear about because it seems to do a lot of good for like things like PTSD and depression. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm hundred percent on board with that, but um, I just don't want to look in a fucking amphibian. No. And especially since like licking, like you don't know how much you're dosing and it could be toxic. Like that's just not wise. Like you I'm should do it. Yeah. You know. I'm more concerned with just a dirty ass frog. Now, maybe yeah. if they had this toad, like maybe if like it was, a, it was a, someone's pet, and they like had it, it was like clean and they would like, like give it baths and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then like, you're like, oh, here, you know, it's toad looking time or whatever. Like, sure. But if it's just some wild toad in the fucking Colorado River, then I mean, God only knows what's going on there. I mean, there's a reason you're supposed to like wash your hands after like handling any kind of like reptile because they have like salmonella and stuff all over their well, body. Well, it's an amphibian. It's, it's not a reptile. Well, okay. Uh, I guess I that's a little bit different, but still, I, I, I think of know. them as kind of like one in the same where it's uh, like, They're you know. vastly different, but uh, <laughs> that still doesn't mean you can't necessarily get salmonella from them. I mean, after I handle hedge, uh, Spiny Norman, the hedgehog. Uh, it's supposed to wash your hand for the, the same the same reason, right? And so I feel like that, that would apply to like, their own filth. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that would probably apply to toads and frogs and and the like. Yeah, I'm I'm yeah probably probably mm. because you know. I mean, you wouldn't lick a snake. You wouldn't lick spiny Norman. I mean, I know that it would, uh, like, you know, be really spiny to yeah. To do, don't but... lick a hedgehog, <laughs> despite anything, because you will get they're they're. They're spiny. They got they got pokey bits. Yes, but even if they didn't have the pokey bits, you'd still like refrain from licking them due to yeah. Like, I mean, I don't know, lick my like, cats. Mm -hmm, no. Yeah. I don't lick my cats either. Good. They're <laughs> a little, little, little furry for me, I guess. I I don't lick a whole lot of things. Yeah, I mean, within yeah. reason i mean you shouldn't really look very much if unless you're compelled in some way and it shouldn't be it probably shouldn't be frogs no or no, toads no. that's a big fucking toad too a seven inch toad that is a big motherfucker ew this is gross it's not that gross or cute i mean they're cute but i mean the bigger they are the ickier they are i like the little teeny ones fair enough Mm-hmm. like i stepped on a giant giant frog back in Winville when I was doing like one of my like neighborhood walks around my neighborhood like it was solid I didn't even like hurt it like putting my weight on it like it, it was just moved I stepped, and you're like Jesus Christ yeah I felt like something like under my foot like as I put my weight down on it and I you know sprung back and it was dark by that time and then I shy my thing on it, and it's just like giant ass fucking frog just sitting 
had a switchblade, wanted to take your wallet. Guys, <laughs> okay, I'm just my neighborhood. I don't have my wallet on me. <laughs> um, yeah, but that motherfucker was huge, and it was just like ew. Whereas, like, if it was like a little teeny frog, well, probably would have killed it stepping on it. But like yeah, a little teeny frog, I'd probably be, I'd probably be like tempted, like you know, scoop up and, and play with for a little bit. No licking, but may- maybe like hold it for a bit, set it free, and then wash my fucking hands. Yeah. Um, but like that big giant frog that was like probably a good seven inches. That was one where it was like, like no. That's. I think frogs. Like and I, did, I, did, cool. I didn't want to. I didn't want to handle the really large frog, but the teeny ones, they're okay. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, they're cute. They're pretty cute. Well, do you want to go to Florida? Uh... I mean, not not <laughs> physically, but like in in the realm of news. Do you want to go to? Well, we're just going to go to Florida here. Okay, uh, like Imagination is, Land, Florida. We're going to yeah, take a trip. Yeah, that, that's the best Florida. <laughs> uh, this is a story from NPR. It came out on this September 22nd, 2022. A truck collision turns a Florida highway into a silver sea of beer cans. Wow. This is in Brooksville, Florida. A Florida highway had to temporarily close Wednesday after a semi-trailer carrying cases of Coors Light crashed and turned the roadway into a silver sea of beer cans. The multi-vehicle crash occurred shortly after 6 p.m. in the southbound lanes of Interstate 75, about 30 miles, 48 kilometers, north of Tampa, the Florida Highway Patrol said in a news release. The pileup began when one semi-trailer clipped another while changing lanes, officials said. That forced other semis to brake, but one failed to stop and collided with a pickup truck and another one of the stopping semis. The semi that failed to stop was filled with cases of silver bullet beer. Minor injuries were reported by the occupants of the pickup truck, the news release said. The inside shoulder and travel lanes were opened to traffic by 8.30 a.m., and the rest of the road was reopened around noon, troopers said. So, you know, not that bad of a uh, Florida story, but... Looking at the picture, there was a fucking shitload of beer <laughs> everywhere. It's like a big old fat pile of beer that just was all over the, all the over highway. The <laughs> oh my gosh. I bet some people would think that's like a dream come true. I can already imagine like Homer Simpson if it was like Duff beer. Like, yeah, it's yeah. the best day of his life. Although I feel like having been you know, scattered all over the road like that, it would probably be pretty flat. I don't know. I mean, as long as you let it's if it's just in a can, it's just just do the little tap tap Coors tap. Light, dude. <laughs> tap the top and pop it. You're good to go. I mean, as good to go as you ever are if you're drinking Coors Light. I mean, no offense to everyone who likes the Silver Bullet. You're clearly not a <laughs> werewolf if you do. Okay, you want a little uh, follow up to our oldie but goodie? Let's 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 do a follow up. Yeah, that sounds lovely. Alrighty. Well, this is a follow up to one of one of the f- more favorite episodes uh, that we have done, which was um, Diatlov Pass. That was the one uh, back in Russia where there was all the students and the mm-hmm. one World War Two guy who went to this particular area to get uh, their certification in being fancy outdoorsy people. Mm-hmm. And they just never really came back. 
Uh, it took several months. Officials went out there and found a bunch of bodies dead under mysterious circumstances. Uh, some of them were missing some like body parts, like a, like a nose or some shit. Uh, they were yeah. missing clothing. They were wearing the wrong clothing. The tent had been like cut open, but it was still standing. Uh, there was corpses found in a ravine. Uh, a lot of them appeared like they had been or had the had the injuries of like a car accident. Yes, and yes. Uh, you know, people had several ideas of what had happened. Oh uh, yes, from Bigfoot to fucking UFOs to. Uh, secret Russian weapons, um, but no one's really landed on anything on anything really very uh, very solid. Right, that is correct. It happened in February nineteen fifty nine, uh, and nine college students died under mysterious circumstance <laughs> circumstances. Uh, it was eight students and one World War Two veteran, and the uh kid that led the was like group leader was 23 year old uh igor diatlov so that's why it's called diatlov pass now the actual mountain that they were camping on in the ural mountains is known as uh dead mountain so <laughs> that's in english obviously that's yes, not what they call it that's not what they call it i i i don't remember what the russian name was um yeah, and like just really weird circumstances. Uh, the first body found uh, shortly after the whatever happened happened uh, near near a cedar tree, and then the rest were kind of discovered uh, one by one over the next couple of months as the snow melted. But they were all uh, kind of scattered about. Uh, some of them were nearly naked, like basically just like in their long johns and socks where others of them had more clothing on. And it seemed as though like some of the clothing didn't, it wasn't like their clothing, but like that they made it might have, some of them it might have taken it off um, those who had died and put it on. But yeah, no one can figure out why they cut themselves out of their tent rather than unzipping and why they all fled into the uh, bitterly cold night and the ones that were not did not have like crazy injuries died of hypothermia whereas some of the others uh, had their skulls and chest crushed it was like yeah. ne negative 22 degrees out there mm -hmm. Fahrenheit yeah so and, absolutely frigid as fuck. Mm -hmm. And just running out there, practically no clothes on, and some of them staying out there until they just froze to death. Uh, so yeah, crazy, crazy set of circumstances that no one has been really able to figure out. Well, in 2019, so two years following when we did this episode... Russian authorities released the results of their inquiry after re-examining the case for four years, concluding that an avalanche caused the nine deaths. Which seems like a bunch of fucking bullshit, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, not a lot of people buy the avalanche theory because... There, I mean, for one thing, there were, were no obvious signs of an avalanche or avalanche debris. 
the slope angle above the tent was also not steep enough. So it is very unlikely that, you know, an avalanche could have, you know, developed and slid down upon them. Yeah. Also, there's photographic evidence of the tent still standing when the researchers came and found the corpses. So right. Right. Well, I mean, the tent had too. collapsed, but it it had collapsed due to snowfall. It wasn't like it, you know, just was demolished by an avalanche. Yeah, so, it was still mostly I mean, standing. I mean, it yes. Was, yeah. It was the, invisible. Yeah, the roof had like caved in, but it was not. Yeah, it didn't seem like it had like anything traumatic had occurred to the tent um also the injuries now i did not know this before i mean snow snow is a powerful thing but what tends to happen to people that uh encounter an avalanche is that they uh, die of asphyxiation yeah because they're your breathe your breath contains moisture and the moisture goes through the snow and it like creates ice in the snow and so you can't get any like anything any more oxygen in or out of the snow because you now are in like basically a globe. Mm-hmm. So none of the victims died of asphyxiation. So th- those were some initial uh reasons why the avalanche theory was kind of discarded. However, in January of 2021, uh, some Swiss researchers presented data that shows that perhaps, just perhaps, a small delayed avalanche could address these discrepancies and explain the cause of the hiker's injuries and death. In an article published in the journal Communications, Earth, and Environment, Johan, all right, (laughs) sorry, Johan, Johan Gome, Gom, G-A-U-M-E. He's Swiss. Okay. (laughs) I don't know how that is supposed to be pronounced at all. And Alexander Puzrin came up with a theory that the deaths were caused by, quote, a slab avalanche caused by progressive windblown snow accumulation on the slope above the hiker's tent, end quote. So it was a kind of a small isolated avalanche that would have only occurred because of accumulation of snow and wind. Okay. It was further posited that a small snow slide was possible and could have crushed the group and the hikers who weren't severely injured could have cut their way out of the tent and tried to save the wounded by dragging them outside. Then after trying to head towards the tree line for shelter, they would have then died from hypothermia, while the others died from their injuries. The pair also suggests that scavenger animals might be the reason why some of the victims were missing eyes and a tongue, although they cannot be certain of this. Also, another theory that was posited that's, like, outside the realms of the weird uh, was that uh, it could have just simply been soft tissue decomposition that accounted for the missing eyes and tongues of the victims. Matteo Born, a Swiss filmmaker, said that he was, quote, really excited, end quote, about the documented evidence of an avalanche, but said that mysteries would always remain about the case. Quote, at some point with this Dyatlov mystery, you have to be open-minded about the fact that there are some things you will never understand, end quote. Johan 
G. I'm just going to call him Johan G because I don't even know. Sounds good to me. <laughs> Said that the winds helped explain why no avalanche had been documented in the area before, even though uh, the tribal people, the the Mansi that live in the region, uh, they've never seen an avalanche. <laughs> okay, like well, no one has heard do... of an avalanche occurring in that area ever. Well, what do the ancestral people know about anything in right. their land. I mean, I mean, it's just their land that they fucking live on. Right. <laughs> His reasoning like, for the reason that they, the Mansi have never uh, the Mansi have never documented an avalanche out there is, yeah, quote, like, I don't know, we've never seen an avalanche. Like, well, it was an avalanche. Like, well, we've never, I mean, we've been here since, like, fucking, like, 1200 BC or whatever. And we've, like, never seen an avalanche. They're like, but, I mean, you guys, avalanche? That's foolish. <laughs> so explaining why nobody has ever documented an avalanche of this type, quote, these avalanches, they release in conditions where people don't go out because it's so windy, so stormy, and then hours later, the wind has covered the traces, end quote. So it's a smaller avalanche. It only happens in uh, windy, stormy conditions. And then the wind continues and covers all traces that the avalanche happened, period. Now, I mean, I get the fact that out there in the middle of winter, negative 22, and it's windy and stormy. Yeah, like uh, it's not just a want, but a need to be indoors and and sheltered (laughs) during times like that but i mean really to never have seen anything like that ever like come on somebody i feel like somebody would have seen something at some point if it was something that has happened reliably (laughs) yeah well so just like another fucking update that just is like well Fuck you guys. Right. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I should also point out that the journal, the, the, the article was not peer-reviewed. And two avalanche experts who were not involved with it, uh, Carl Berkland, director of the U.S. Nas- U.S. Forest Service National Avalanche Center, and Doug Chabot, the director of the Gallatin National Forest Avalanche Center in Montana, express- expressed skepticism. <laughs> saying, although the Swiss scientists had shown how one could have happened, it still seemed unlikely. Now, from what I've read on the internet, there are also some avalanche people that are kind of like, oh, hey, finally an answer. Like, this totally could have happened. But also there are avalanche experts that are just like, mm, possibly this could have maybe happened, but not likely. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but- doesn't seem like it. <laughs> Carl Brooklyn says, quote, we believe that the avalanche hypothesis cannot be completely ruled out, but that it is not the most likely scenario. While it may be remotely possible, we would suggest that it would be highly improbable. Uh, they also expressed concern about whether the terrain was steep enough. Despite the 3D mapping that the uh, the Swiss guys did, they believe the slopes um, shown in the old photographs are not sufficiently steep for an avalanche so yeah so it's like okay so these guys are like hey this is how it could have happened with this particular type of weird avalanche that only occurs under these weird circumstances and leaves very little evidence of the avalanche behind 
Although, I mean, for me, I think there's still a lot of unanswered questions when it comes to the avalanche theory, even like this very specialized avalanche. No, it's um, just a super, a super cool avalanche that like doesn't really take tents with it. Uh-huh. And and it and all traces of it are blown away. Just fucking gone, yeah. <laughs> I think the only weird thing that this theory might explain would be why they may have cut themselves out of the tent. Because of course that's one that we can't figure out. Uh so like a small avalanche like coming and crushing the tent suddenly, I I can see where, yeah, you might cut yourself out of the tent. Now, if I'm remembering right, and I'm sorry I did not go back and reread my notes, uh, which would have been really hard because this was still paper note time for me, or listen to the episode like I should have our previous episode. Um, I think, though, uh, that the most injured group members were the farthest away and had on more clothes. Uh, yeah, which was one the of the final, weird things about it. Was like it. the final four. It was uh, Dubinia, Zolotaryov, Kolekatov, and Thibodeau. Uh, they were 200 feet away, covered nine feet of snow. Uh, they three had lethal injuries. One had the fractured skull. Uh-huh. And the two had the several broken uh, ribs and a bunch of internal bleeding. Um, those were the ones that they expected it to be uh, injuries that you'd see in a car crash. Right. And two of the bodies had the gaping eye sockets and uh-huh. uh, like there's no b- eyeballs in and them. Then, and those and were the ones... The one with the uh, Z, the, the gal, she was the one missing her tongue too, her eyes and her tongue. Yeah, yeah. Zolotaryov, yeah. she was missing mm-hmm. her tongue as well. And it was also like the diaphragm of the mouth. So it wasn't just a tongue, but like, I think the top part of the mouth is the diaphragm. But yeah, or no, the back part kind of by the uvula, I believe. At any rate, okay. it was missing some shit. So it really doesn't make sense to me that if the like the avalanche came and started crushing them within the tent and they all like, you know, some of them uh, are injured by it. And then the ones that are less injured drag them out. How did how the ones that were less in, you know, less injured? Why did they like not make it as far as the ones that were way more injured? And why were the ones that were more injured have more clothes on? And why were their clothes radioactive? Yes, exactly. So, like, why were the clothes I mean, radioactive? That is another excellent weird. question. I don't. <laughs> and then again, even if this was some kind of weird avalanche, uh, yeah, I, it doesn't explain the injuries. I mean, I know water can really fuck you up, and then snow is just water in a different state. But like I said earlier, uh, avalanche victims tend to asphyxiate. They don't usually receive crushing injuries in that if they're way. covered like, if they're covered by snow yeah yeah so it's just it's it's weird and then of course there is you know the the couple the the ones that made it to the tree line and uh, at least one of them had actually climbed up into a tree and i don't like why was he doing that i don't think that he was doing that in the middle of the night to try and see if there was another avalanche in the no, dark you, like, like I, they're in the middle of fucking nowhere <laughs> And even if they had a flashlight, they did not have LED flashlights back then. They did not have any sort of device that's going to make, that's going to like show any sort of light, any kind of distance. There's really no reason to climb up into the tree. Yeah. Unless you were looking for something completely different that was scaring the fuck out of you. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's cool what they did. I, I think there's like maybe even a little documentary on like their findings and I'm, I'm sure they, 
you know, I'm not trying to discount their, their scientific Oh, uh, yeah, I'm sure that they are an expert at that, that their fields, and so they probably have a lot of really good evidence for this. I, but. I'm sure that they do. I just feel like it it still doesn't answer enough of the question. They're still, like, the circumstances are just too weird for it to have been Even like that. Even if that was the case, like, there are many other parts that are like, well, what the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> you know, like there's a lot of still what the fuck. Even if it was, like, like say there was a, the avalanche, and say it didn't even hit their tent, but it was like since it's so localized, it was close by, mm -hmm. and the noise just scared them, and they left their tent. Like, then all of the weird shit that happened afterwards, like what the fuck? Yeah, like how did they get those terrible injuries? Like, yeah, all of the shit. Yeah, and it just seems clothing. to me like okay. Yeah, their clothing radioactive. Um, and it seems to me if they dragged them out of the tent uh, and they're the most injured, they wouldn't be so far down. They wouldn't be the ones that were like found the furthest out. Uh, the, they were the furthest out and they had the most clothes because the ones who, you know, maybe originally they didn't have as many clothes and like the ones who were closest by like somehow like ended up freezing to death. And that still doesn't even make sense. Like how did they, how did the ones freeze to death first before the ones with the traumatic injuries took their clothes off of their bodies and then somehow sustained these weird injuries. Or maybe yeah. they weren't even injured by the time they made it out and like their friends had died of hypothermia and they dressed themselves and then something crazy happened after they'd already cut themselves out of tent. Something was out there. Like one of them climbs a tree to even look and, and try and see what's going on from. Yeah. I mean, weird, weird. My money is still on like, government experimental thing gone awry another thing too that was weird was that you know there was some evidence that the bodies had been moved or at least turned over because of the lividity of the bodies and how they were found like they were found face down but it appeared that some of them had died like face up or vice versa i can't i right, can't remember yeah. which but um yeah it just just some some weird freak avalanche just doesn't quite answer all those questions no, and these just, are yeah. questions that are probably never going to be answered unfortunately but as as far as russia is concerned <laughs> yeah but you know avalanche is the answer that that's their official hey. take on it like hey fuck it why not <laughs> <laughs> it was avalanche <laughs> yeah case closed yeah so no, yeah mm -hmm. yeah so they are officially ruling it as an avalanche and then these two swiss guys are saying well here's how an avalanche could have happened but uh, in my personal opinion, that's not what happened. Yeah, probably not an avalanche. Don't really know what it was, but not an avalanche. Yeah, I can't tell you what it was, but I feel like an avalanche is what it wasn't. Well, I've got something here for you. This <laughs> is uh, still, it's still East Coast stuff. This is about uh, Chelsea Market in New York City. Uh, murder, the KGB, and 9-11, Inside the Weird Secret History of Chelsea Market. This is from New York Post on November 17th, 2022. Chelsea Market is celebrating the 25th anniversary this month, but the Highline Food Emporium hasn't always been a culinary mecca for upmarket foodies and chefs. Chelsea Market is most famous for re revitalizing a rundown section of the West Side, but in an exclusive interview with Side Dish, its 88-year-old founder, Erwin Cohen, 
revealed a wild ride that has included Russian money, ex-KGB security, and a tie-up with U.S. government agencies following the devastating terror attacks of 9-11. In the early 1990s, the lifelong New Yorker cooked up the idea to open a food market that would combine wholesale and retail elements to promote local entrepreneurs and artisans. But Cohen didn't have the money to make it happen because of a recession that had frozen bank loans. So he turned to the free-flowing spigot of cash shooting out of Russia after the fall of the Soviet Union. Russian investors helped him snap up the assemblage of 17 buildings spanning the city block between West 15th and West 16th Streets and bookended by 10th Avenue and 11th Avenue for just under $11 million. The buildings were once home to the Nabisco factory, maker of, Ore of the Oreo cookie, but were now a collection of dilapidated structures infested with feral cats and 100 years of garbage, Cohen said. The site had also played host to gruesome triple murders in the late 1980s. Two men had been executed in the basement, and a third man died from his wounds in what appeared to be a robbery. Outside wasn't any safer. The only booming business was prostitution on the otherwise deserted streets. It was a very, very tough neighborhood, Cohen said. Going to work every day was a little dangerous. In fact, my Russian investors had to send over retired KGB agents. But flush with the Russian cash, Cohen and his daughter Cheryl implemented their idea of having only wholesale food suppliers who would also then go into a small part of the retail business. It was a bold move for someone who didn't know anything about the food industry. New Yorkers, he said, care about clothing, food, and shelter. Earlier in his career, Cohen had lots of garment center tenants, so he, I didn't want to build factories or showrooms, and I had also managed lots of apartments all over the United States, so we were left with food, and we all need it. The two focused on bringing in, bringing in women entrepreneurs when Chelsea Market opened on November 12, 1997. At the start, Cohen said 67% of our owners were women. This included Amy Sherber of Amy's Breads and Sarah Beth Levine of Sarah Beth's which I don't know. That's fucking lovely, I guess. <laughs> the concept took off, so did the neighborhood, as the city cracked down on crime to shed its seedy image. Then came the September 11th terrorist attacks. Cohen and his daughter quickly turned Chelsea Market into a staging point to coordinate food and supplies for first responders. We had vans and trucks going 24 hours a day with food and supplies from Chelsea Market down to ground zero and we supplied most of the provisions for all of the people who were working down there, Cohen said. As the rebuilding began, Cohen landed federal contracts to develop offices for vital government agencies after the Twin Towers fell. I was chosen to rebuild the intelligence operations that were destroyed on 9-11, said Cohen, a son of immigrants from Russia and Poland who grew up in Brooklyn. We have the Joint Terrorist Task Force and Organized Crime and Money Laundering for the Drug Enforcement Administration and various other operations, he continued. That was really the thrill of my life, being able to work for the United States government. Yeah. The Chelsea Market's <laughs> business model helped his tenants stay afloat in the aftermath of the attacks. When 9-11 occurred, our tenants told me the idea of wholesale with retail was what saved their business lives because people stopped going out to restaurants, but they had good quality food with good prices, Cohen said. In 2003, ex-Soviet investors were out, Cohen said. 
Real estate firm Jamestown bought 75% of the business, said Michael Phillips, president of Jamestown, which is also behind Brooklyn's Industry City and Girardelli Square in San Francisco. In 2018, Google paid $2.4 billion to snap up the once languished property. I think that we did something good by getting the market started, and I was really privileged to be able to work with my daughter and come up with the whole idea, Cohen said. The fact that it survived this long is really a credit to the people who live in New York, in New York City. They support it, and now we have something that has become the model for similar organizations throughout the world. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty awesome. I mean, it was just like filled with like garbage and feral cats. <laughs> And then and prostitutes, apparently <laughs> sex workers, feral cats uh -huh. and trash. And then, uh, hey, and then you end up like selling <laughs> it to like Google like, for like two point eight billion. That's that's not bad. Get a little bit of Russian uh, money. You know, you know, get you some know KGB who agents I would down there to rough totally, up the rough. You know, I would totally <laughs> want as a security team, like on my security team. Should I ever need one? A fucking ex KGB agent. Uh, well, at this point, maybe not, because they're probably getting pretty old yes, at this point. Yes, yes. But don't but, they have, like, a uh, new one now? Like, they have another KGB. They just call yeah, it like something else. KGB, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. Also, Putin's Alex. Pals. Like, Alex, like, has to be part of my security detail. Should just because he's, he's tall? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's he, fair. Yeah. That's fair. Yep. So... Well, I have <laughs> I have a fun thing to read. Kind of like we're in between. It kind of uh, taps on two themes. Like we're we're in between Halloween and Thanksgiving here. Although this may be coming out shortly after Thanksgiving, but you know, Halloween involves a lot of candy. Yes, and Thanksgiving can sometimes, uh, unfortunately, involve uh, some stomach issues so this one kind of like taps on both now real quickly before i'm a dick and i forget because i like to do it a lot for my Love pass update info that came from www.newsweek.com an article from 21021 written by rebecca spear cole and www newyorktimes.com, nytimes.com, an article written by Alan Juhas, uh, April 1st, 2022. And this next thing I'm going to read for you is straight off of the Amazon, <laughs> Amazon shopping website, a one-star review on Haribo sugar-free gummy bears. Huh. <laughs> it's quite interesting. This was submitted by a user named Luke on uh, the review was left on June 5th, 2015. So, I mean, everyone loves Haribo gummy bears. I'm a big yeah, fan of Yeah, those are like the bears. ones in the gold package. And they're uh -huh, like the best yeah, ones, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I mean, Halloween's a great time. You get those little mini packs of them. Awesome. But apparently the sugar-free variety has probably some sugar substitutes that... Uh, may not be very agreeable to your digestive system, as uh, Luke is about to tell us in uh, very graphic detail. <laughs> <laughs> it was my last class of the semester, and the final exam was worth 30% of our grade. After a late-night study session, I felt confident, but I had to decide between sleeping in or cooking breakfast. My eyelids chose sleep. My stomach later regretted this decision, and after several uncomfortable stomach growls, I finally decided to make a quick stop by the campus bookstore and grab a snack before my test. 
Since the semester was ending and everyone was going home for the summer, a lot of items were on sale, including the snacks and candy that they kept up front. Being in the hungry state that I was in, should never shop when you're hungry. No, folks. not unless you want to buy the whole store. Mm-mm. Being in the hungry state I was in, I felt only logical to pick the largest yet least expensive candy in order to get more bang for my buck. And there they sat, two bags of Haribo sugar-free gummy bears. Buy one, get one free. What a deal, I thought naively. I would eat one bag before my test and one bag afterwards. As I walked to class, I gleefully chewed on those abominable little, abominable little bastards, unaware of the utter mayhem that they would soon unleash upon my poor, poor anus. <laughs> I sat down at my desk as the professor informed us that due to issues with cheating in the past, restroom breaks would be prohibited until the completion of the exam. I'll give you 10 minutes to use the restroom now. This will be your last chance. Any takers? The demon bears hadn't released their unholy necromancy upon my stomach yet, so in my moment of ignorant foolishness, I remained seated, still munching on those miniature bear-shaped bombs. After the students wise enough to take the professor's offer had returned, the professor handed out the test. I was six questions in when it happened. It started subtly at first, almost like a slight tingly sensation in my lower abdomen. I thought nothing of it, assuming my intestines were just doing their thing. Little did I know that my intestines were trying desperately to warn me of the horror that was on the horizon. <laughs> by question nine, it happened again. But this time, it was followed by a sharp pain, as if those infernal hellions had orchestrated an attack upon my colon. I fought to contain the groan that tried escaping my lips. It was at this point I began to panic. Something was going horribly wrong and I needed to get through this test before it got any worse. By question 14, my worst fear was upon me. The Satan Bear's burning, hot, liquidy, dark magic crashed against my anal sphincter like a tidal Jesus. wave. <laughs> I was able to close the hatch just in time, but those relentless, toxic bears beat against it like orcs breaking down the doors of Helm's Deep. I knew I wouldn't be able to so much as shift in my seat without risking a breach. <laughs> I kept fighting through my exam, clenching my cheeks with all my might. Beads of sweat had begun rolling down my neck. Suddenly, a loud, gurgling war cry came from my belly, and the entire class <laughs> lifted their heads. At this point, nothing mattered except expelling this ungodly presence from my bowels. With 15 qu questions la left, I promptly wrote, C for every answer and ran out of the classroom. My professor yelled something, but I was too preoccupied with the volcanic eruption that needed to take place before I could find sweet, sweet relief. I burst into the restroom like the Kool-Aid man, and behold, the handicapped stall was empty. Sun rays from the adjacent window shone upon it as if it were a gift from God himself. It took me less than 0.5 seconds to undo my belt buckle, pull down my pants, and finally relax my weary buttocks upon the toilet seat. It took absolutely no effort to expel this demon. Almost immediately, the floodgates of hell were opened, and the damned, liquefied souls of an entire bag's worth of gummy bears cried as they burned through my sphincter on the way to the, into the watery abyss below. I had never felt such simultaneous relief and anguish in my life. After 30 more minutes of this, I immediately went home, dug a hole in my backyard, and burned the remaining bag of gummy bears. I leave with this. Do not, I repeat, do not eat these spawns of Satan. 
Not only did it cause me to fail my final test, but the anguish I experienced is something I wouldn't wish upon anyone, not even my worst enemy. The only place these godforsaken hell bears belong are buried deep below the Earth's surface. Uh, 21,550 people found that review helpful. But well, for one, why are you buying sugar-free anything? <laughs> That's disgusting. Well, some people are diabetic. You know, True. We're on a diet. Um, also, I mean, like, did they just, I mean, that's an Amazon review. Did they, uh, didn't they say that they went to the store and bought them? Right. But I mean, they sell them on Amazon. So, so they're, just, it's so, okay. they're, they're yeah. probably just out there trying to warn the general masses. Like, don't buy these. Like they found a, they found a listing for Haribo sugar-free gummy yeah, bears. And they're that's, like, look, uh, don't do it, folks. That's something else. That is something, that is something else, else indeed. I have to say, uh, I did not experience, you know, I mean, I've probably experienced something similar. I mean, we all have in our lives experienced uh, something similar to this. But I have to say, never so bad I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Like, I... And also, that's, that happened quick. Yeah, I know, right? But then eating a whole bag, I mean, that's a lot of... That seems also... It's a lot. Yeah, that is a lot. That is a lot of fucking gummy things. Like, mm-hmm. I'm hungry. I'm going to eat, like, a bag full of gummy bears. Oh. And no well, you shit, having any quick. breakfast? You're a college student? I mean, I don't know. Like, gummy bears for breakfast either. sounds fine to me most times. Ugh. I mean, I try, I try and, like, uh, pawn Not that off on my kids bear. when they're all, yeah. like, asking for dinner. I'm like, dude, it was, just, it was just Halloween. Don't you have, like, a ton of candy you can just yeah. eat for dinner? And they're just like, I want real food. I'm like, what kind of children are you? Yeah, like, you Jesus fucking, fucking Christ. I would give anything to, like, just eat candy for dinner. Like, you fucking rats. I mean, can't you just appreciate a parent who's just like, just eat some candy? Like, apparently not. And they're like, kids we want today. real food. I know. Kids today. Little ingrates. Seriously. Trying just to get them to eat their freaking halloween candy for dinner and they're just like no that's not good enough little bitches in their fucking food pyramid uh-huh right remember when our food pyramid included six to eleven servings of carbs every day yeah <laughs> i'll bet you in the 1950s it includes cigarettes and whiskey yeah i'm sure it did <laughs> <laughs> That was probably like that was probably under the the six to eleven uh, servings of carbohydrates. Yes, like you yeah, know, yeah. like this is the foundation of a of a healthy diet is one cigarettes pack and of Lucky Strikes, <sighs> one bottle of Jim Beam, mm-hmm. and then a shit ton of carbs. Steak, rare, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> General carbohydrates, you know. Yeah, see, our days of the food pyramid, they were way big on carbs, and it was like it was like fats, like the the grease stuff that yeah. was all like, oh, fats and oils, like used sparingly. Now it's like, oh, maybe fats and oils are not as terrible. I mean, still not the greatest for your arteries, but actually, actually, <laughs> yeah. So you got anything else for us, Joanna? No, I. Don't think I have anything else. I'm not sure much can really top that last Amazon review there. there I mean, I, I don't really know what, what else can follow that. All right. Well, uh, we'd like to thank you guys very much for listening. Uh, you can take a look at our Facebook page. Uh, or our Facebook. Yeah, our Facebook page. Facebook.com slash Stranger Than podcast. 
Uh, you, we got a, a, a group, The Strange Space, you can take a look at there. Uh, if you have any fancy stories about weirdo shit happening to you because of aliens or, you know, whatever, uh, you can send us that kind of stuff. Uh, we'd love to read it on, on the air at uh, strangerthanpodcast at gmail.com. You can take a look at our Patreon, patreon.com slash strangerthanpodcast, where you can get our regular episodes for uh, with no ads for $2 a month. Or for $5 a month, you can get the bonus, or you can get the regular episodes with no ads, plus a bonus episode where Jen- Joanna tells you terrible things about terrible people. That is right. And with that, we'll talk to you next time. And stay strange. Thank you.